My father-in-law loved uh, my mother-in-law and loved to give her gifts. But he didn't always trust himself to pick the right gift. But he had a friend in a jewelry store down in Gadsden, and he'd go to that jewelry store, and they'd help him pick out nice things. One time, it must have been a special occasion, he went there, and, and, they, and he picked out some pearls, real live, genuine, bona fide pearls, and gave them to his wife, my mother-in-law. Then two or three years before her death, uh, my mother-in-law gave them to Carrie and said, I want you to give these to Brennan. That's our daughter. And she said, I'd be honored if she would wear these in her wedding. And Carrie took those and, and got the pearls um, appraised and told Brennan how much they cost, not to be snooty, but to say, hey, these are precious. Don't take them for granted. And don't treat them casually. And Brennan did wear them in the wedding. Today, I believe God's word for us is about life, about human life. And I believe his word is, it is precious. Don't treat it casually. Don't take it for granted. Life is a fragile and fleeting gift. We've come to the, what I would, I believe is the hardest and heaviest, most controversial, potentially even most divisive of the Ten Commandments. I wish we could go back and talk about the Sabbath, about resting on the Sabbath. That would be a lot easier. I'd, in fact, I wish I could go back and talk about kids taking care of us old parents as we get older. I kind of I kind of I forwarded that to my two kids that don't live here. I'd rather go back and talk about that. In fact, I'd rather sit in a circle. I wish we were sitting in a circle instead of me standing here in the pulpit. Because today, of uh, more than even on normal days, I, I share my heart as a fellow pilgrim, not as one who has all this figured out. I would not speak of a topic such as this without good preparation, and yet I know that like you, I see through a glass darkly. So I'll provide my best insights. I'll, uh, I'll share my heart with you. It is complicated. It is, it is complex. Brother Kreider over here, our uh, uniformed policeman, told me before the service, this ought to be a short sermon. <laughs> do not kill, he said. Just tell them, don't do it. And that ought, that's pretty much, pretty much it. He does work in homicide. In fact, he suggested I let him deliver the message <laughs> this morning. But it is a little more complicated than do not kill. In fact, the word for kill in uh, this Hebrews text is, is the word ratzach. In Hebrew, it, it does mean, in many of your translations, it does say murder. But and as I've often said, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I have a lot of really good books. And in my really good books, all the, all the Hebrew scholars that I read say that this word is broader than homicide. It's broader than just stabbings and shootings. It's about intentionally taking life, and this intentionally taking life is applicable to a wide array of very difficult topics. It is our sixth commandment, Exodus 20, 13, do not kill. And I'm going to try to tackle some of those uh, 
those difficult topics. So buckle up. Here we, here we go. Suicide. Over the years, I've had a lot of people ask me about their loved ones who took their lives. People have said about my husband, my wife, my parent, my child. He took his life. She took her life. Can he or she go to heaven? The simple answer to that is yes, that a a child of God through Jesus certainly goes to heaven. But Travis, if if it's a sin, and it is, and that's the last act on earth for which one cannot repent, then how can one go to heaven? We talk about grace a lot, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. And the truth is, there's nothing in the Bible that says one forfeits heaven by taking one's own life. It is sin, it is wrong, because it takes into one's own hands the decision that, is, that should be left to God Himself, the decision of life. And yet... And yet, one does not forfeit heaven. That moment is is a moment of indescribable, unimaginable desperation, born of mental, deep mental pain, even illness. And so, one does not forfeit heaven. What about end-of-life issues? Boy, over the years, I've had countless conversations about end-of-life, people making decisions about the either the extension of life or or the postponing of death, people making decisions about such matters as feeding tubes and and respirators. My own father died at age 86. In In the last weeks of his life, we decided not to do a feeding tube. He was actively dying and we believed that to, that the feeding tube would not extend his life but would artificially postpone death. And that's a big difference. There's a difference between extending life and artificially postponing death. I, I sat at the bedside of Michael Laswell. Never will forget this. Michael had suffered a, a debilitating brain injury, a brain injury from which he never would recover. The only child of his mom and dad, they... They finally came to the right decision to turn off the machine that was artificially keeping him alive, but they they couldn't bear to watch. They couldn't bear to watch, and yet they didn't want to be alone, so they asked me if I would sit at Michael's bedside. And I did. I watched the nurse uh, turn a knob, and, and not long after that, I watched Michael take his last shallow breath, holy moment. But his parents made a hard and yet, I believe, wise decision. Again, we have to ask, are we, are we really extending life or are we postponing death? Are we causing death, or, which is not ours to do, or are we allowing death to naturally come? In decisions like this, as I said last week, Rightness and wrongness are measured in the heart, the intent, the motive of the decider. We have to ask, are we being, are we being compassionate? Are we being responsible? Are we being unselfish? 
And if the answer to those questions is yes, we are being compassionate, we are being responsible, we are being unselfish, then one family will make a decision different perhaps than another family, but the, but the rightness and wrongness is measured in the heart, the intent, the motive of the decider. That's end of life issues. What about, what about war? A number of Christians, a number of Christ followers are pacifists who believe it's wrong as Christ followers to engage in war. And I understand that, and I admire and appreciate that. But I think, I'm pretty sure it was former President Jimmy Carter who was asked about that text that we heard read a moment ago where Jesus said to turn the other cheek, that love your enemy and turn the other cheek. And they asked him, as a follower of Jesus, and again, he takes his Christian faith very seriously. They asked him, how can, as a follower of Jesus who said, turn the other cheek, how can you send, uh, how, how can you send soldiers into battle? And he said, and I believe rightfully so, that when Jesus spoke of turning the other cheek, he's talking about individuals, not about nations. And what the Bible says in Romans 13 about the sword and the government, I believe, support his, his interpretation of what Jesus said. And, And yet the cause must be just for centuries, Christian leaders have said. The cause must be just. You can't just go to war to expand one's empire. But if the cause is as just as is humanly possible, it is not wrong for a nation to take up arms. And it is not wrong, I believe, for a a Christ follower to to fight for his or her nation. But even even given that this morning after the, the first service when I said that, A man who had retired from the infantry said, you know, I believe it's right to go to to fight for one's nation, but he said, every time you take a life, it it tears a little bit out of you because life is precious. What about capital punishment or the death penalty? On January the 25th, the state of Alabama executed Kenneth Smith for the, for the murder of Elizabeth Stennett in 1988. We were on national news because the method of execution was nitrogen gas, which was, it was a new, new use of nitrogen gas. A lot of faith leaders protested that execution. In fact, faith leaders protest, some faith leaders protest every execution. So what about it? Honestly, now remember... We're sitting in an imaginary circle. I'm not standing at a pulpit, if you can join me in that imagination. I'm conflicted. Because on the one hand, I understand justice, and I understand deterrence. And on the other hand, I I understand that sometimes convictions are overturned. Sometimes there's mistaken identity, and sometimes convictions are overturned because of further evidence like DNA. And I... I offer to you that I believe that topic, the topic of the death penalty, is worthy of of reasonable and prayerful discussions among people of faith. What about abortion? Another complex topic. I understand assault and incest. I understand when the, the, the viability of the unborn child Well, when when the unborn child is not viable, I understand when the mother's life is at risk. And yet I also understand that most abortions are the attempt to, to dismiss or 
Avoid the consequences of an unwanted pregnancy as a means of birth control. So for me, I believe that abortion as a means of birth control is a violation of the sixth commandment, and to take life is a serious thing. But there's more to this conversation than just active killing. We passively, passively participate in death when we ignore our responsibilities to the poor. There are people whose lives are at risk because they live in poverty. Study after study shows disparities, disparities including lifespan. I, I have a lot of resources. And so study after study shows that my lifespan is expected to be a bit longer than those who live in poverty. Study after study shows disparities even in opportunities for health care. I have resources. And so I have more opportunities than do a lot of people who live in poverty, living in certain parts of town with certain backgrounds. And, and I don't know the answers to that, yet I believe that as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to do our best, everything we can, to, to make sure everybody has an opportunity at opportunity. We've talked about not taking life, but what about what if we turn that around and say and, and talk about choosing life? How could we how could we choose life? God says the following to us in the book of Deuteronomy. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So how may we choose life? Let me give you three suggestions. Number one, be an organ donor. Another day I'll never forget was down at VCU, the hospital in Richmond, when I sat with two sets of parents, the mother and father of Diana Khan, Han and Cassidy Han, two cousins killed in an automobile accident, two sets of parents who had lost both a daughter and a niece. Never forget those days. But the most poignant memory was the, was the moment when Diana's parents decided to donate her organs. In fact, it really was not their decision. Two years earlier, when Diana had gotten her driver's license, she had told, not asked, but told her mom and dad that she was going to be an organ donor. And so they honored her wishes. And three people, they eventually learned of three people whose lives were spared because of Diana's choice to be a an organ donor, including a man named Steve, whom they eventually met. I have a little heart on the bottom left-hand corner of my driver's license. When you go get yours renewed or when you get one, get you a heart and be an organ donor. Second, consider being a, consider adopting a child or fostering a child. 64 years ago, a young lady I never met in or near New Orleans chose life, and gave her baby girl up for adoption. Two people I did know, George and Francis, adopted that little girl, gave her a good home, loved her, cared for her, sent her to school, and then strangely, 23 years later, George gave her away. Walked right down the aisle of the 12th Street Baptist Church and said, her mother and I, and gave her away to me. That's Carrie. So Carrie and I have a sweet spot in our hearts for 
adopted kids and adoptive parents. Our oldest son, Landon, they are, theirs is a foster, they have a foster child, they're second, and we love little Levin. <clears throat> you can give life, you can encourage people to choose life, and you can give life to little kids if you'll consider adoption. And by the way, we have a one less committee that helps you with resources if you would choose to adopt or foster. And a third, my third suggestion is to give money to the Super Bowl of caring. When you leave, there are going to be some students standing at the doors. Well, they do that every Super Bowl. So today, instead of being polite and giving them a couple of dollars, remember to choose life. Remember, you have a responsibility. You, we are people of means. We have a responsibility to those who don't have the resources we do, so give generously. It's it's divided evenly among Manor House, um, HAP, Huntsville Assistance Program, and don't tell me, uh, Manor House, Huntsville Assistance Program, and Downtown Rescue Mission. I I heard a word from the Lord that said it was (laughs) Downtown Rescue Mission. It's all divided evenly. We We have relationships with them all. And you can, you can be a part of choosing life by, by giving. Why would do not kill be in the Ten Commandments? It's not just that killing feels bad. There's a divine moral principle underlying this commandment not to kill. And that, that, that divine moral principle is this. Life is precious If you read Genesis 1, over and over, the Bible says, God said, God said, God said. So God spoke into being, Sagittarius and Aquarius. God spoke into being the moon and Neptune. God spoke into being the seas and the breeze and the trees and the bees. But then, but then God breathed human life. Think about that imagery. By the very power of His Word, there was light. At the sound of His voice, the the seas divided from the mountains. He spoke, and there were fish and animals and birds swimming and crawling and running and flying. But then the creator of the universe universe lowered himself to this, this creation he called good. And he scooped up some dust and he formed from that dust man and woman. And he breathed into us life. Human life is precious. Don't take it for granted. And don't handle it casually. Carrie was going to come see me. I was living in Venezuela. Some of y'all heard me tell this. I was living in Venezuela. It was the year 1980. She, I was working as a missionary journeyman. She was going to come down and stay with missionaries and visit me. And, and I knew I was going to ask her to marry me. And most of y'all have heard me tell this. But here's a part of the story I don't think I've told. I knew I was going to ask her to marry me while we were down there, and we had dated in high school, and no, no, in college. That was somebody else in high school come to. 
You know, sometimes I say things and I, I look back and wonder, why, why'd you say that? I have a hunch. This is going to be, this is going to be one of those times. <laughs> so we had dated in college and I knew she was the one and I was going to ask her to marry me. And I wanted to get her rings from Venezuela because they have really good gold and for sentimental reasons, I wanted to get her gold from Venezuela. And uh, so I made those arrangements, went to the gold, you know, made those arrangements and, um, and yet the diamond, I, I wanted to get a diamond from here, and my dad uh, knew a guy down in, uh, at, 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 in a jewelry store in Anniston, and so on my behalf, my dad uh, purchased the diamond. And the, the best way to get the, the diamond to me was for Carrie to bring it. So my mom put it in a big envelope, and she said to Carrie before she got on the plane, now this envelope has a lot of money in it. My mom is, was so honest that she wrapped it in a dollar bill just so she wouldn't be lying about the, about the money. She said, this envelope has a lot of money in it. Now be real careful with it and keep it with you at all times. Be real careful because, and then she said, as soon as you get off the plane, first thing you do is hand this to Travis. What Carrie was bringing was precious. Not large, unfortunately, but it was precious. So my mom said, be careful with it. Don't treat it casually. And the word of the Lord for us today is the value of life. The preciousness of this fragile, fleeting gift. Don't take it for granted. Don't treat it casually. Choose it. Value it. Choose life.